0: What's up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia and my partner, Shawan Humes, back after a hell of a weekend, or excuse me, of a vacation that I had, so a week off, but it is June 21st, 2018, and this is episode 88 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Uh, Shawan, how you doing there, sir?
1: I'm doing good as always, just enjoying some downtime, don't get very much of it.
0: And that's how I felt over uh this weekend flying out to mexico from thursday to sunday it was a hell of a trip winter i mean the weather was almost bad the first day but we made the best of it by drinking copious amounts of alcohol and you know i got back man for the first time in my life i i understand how white people feel because i'm a little bit sunburned like i noticed that my skin was pale and i'm like huh this is what they they must complain about all um all summer long
1: yeah my my kids actually went over to a friend's house they were out Sitting in the sun, and the, and their friend's mom was like, "Y'all should put some sunscreen on." They're like, "We don't, we don't get sunburned. We're black." <laughs> and one of my daughters fell asleep on a raft in the middle of their pool, and they woke up, and the next day she just, you just breathed on her, and she's screaming in agony. And I'm like, "Told you about these mists, y'all be believing it, <laughs> and black people you. can't get sunburned."
0: I'm 34 years old, and I flat out believe black people cannot get sunburned, and I realized the hard way that that was absolutely incorrect. So yeah, if you're if you are filled with melanin in some shape or form, and you're listening to the MMA, MMA Ratings podcast today, know that you can get sunburned.
1: Okay, my yeah, my parents got me on that one early. They're like, "What?" My dad is like, "What's wrong with you, fool? Get back in the house." <laughs> so, I, I mean, didn't I'm believe not- I didn't believe him. To- I didn't believe until I started seeing other people get somewhere and I was like, oh, man, he wasn't lying. Dang. All right.
0: This is real. This is a real thing here. So, Anyway, man, like I said, we got a lot to talk about this weekend. We got a card that's going on right now over on NBC, uh, PFL2. We will be talking about that because there's some interesting pieces of um, content there I want to pick up on. Chris Wade actually, UFC veteran Chris Chris Wade actually lost a a unanimous decision. In the second fight of the night and that kind of jumped off the page to me but uh either way yeah i think a lot of
1: ufc guys thought they were just gonna have a cakewalk in this tournament they don't understand that those lower weights uh, a lot of guys are are, there's a lot more ufc level guys at the lower weight classes than there are you know light heavyweight maybe middleweight light heavyweight on up
0: yeah definitely i mean there's there's a lot of good mma out there not and we're seeing that more uh, beyond just the UFC, but we have that to talk about. We have uh, UFC 132 to talk about. Or, excuse me, UFC Fight Night 132, which is going down this weekend over in Singapore, and uh, we also have some bits, some some news pieces to talk about as well. So, just wanted to go ahead and jump into this. I wanted to start with a conversation around one um, David Branch. You know, he's been going out of his way lately, calling out. Uh, Jacare Sosa, and the more I think about this fight, the more intrigued I am in seeing it. If we could rewind the clock five years ago, or whenever David Branch's first MMA run, what, or excuse me, first uh, UFC run was occurring, I would be of the mind to be like, you know what, he's gonna get blown out in this fight. However, looking at the way Jockery has been performing lately, this fight maybe intrigues me a little bit more. So talk to me about the Schwann. Is this a fight that David Brand should be looking, to, looking and should he be barking up this tree? Or is this something that um, he can catch the Brazilian competitor off guard?
1: Uh, I think it's a smart fight for him. I mean, Jacare is one of the bigger names in the weight division. And more importantly, Jacare, even though he's still on the fringe of the elite, he's actually on the decline. He's not as athletic or as durable, nor does he have the stamina that he used to have uh prior to the past couple years so he's at the position where david branch actually has a fair shot of beating him the one caveat would be that david branch in that fight with luke rockhold still showed that he has a he has an issue with guy, explosive guys and athletic guys and jock even though he's declined would still be considered one of the more elite middleweights as far as his athleticism and his physical strength so what luke rockhold did to him jock could very well repeat that repeat that feat, but if there's ever time to go after Jacare, now would be the time. Um, a fight I'd like to see would be, I, I don't really think Jacare wants this fight. I don't think he's going to go for it. Um, it's a lot for him to lose. Right now, he's still a, he's a contender because he lost to Gasolim. Gasolims only have one loss at middleweight. Losing to Branch is a whole different type of circumstance as far as the effect it has on your ranking and the effect it has on how, where you're placed in the middleweight division. So I can't see him taking this fight. I don't think he wants it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for him. But as far as Branch, it's a smart move. Jacare or Chris Weidman would be the two guys I'd be going for, the two most vulnerable guys and the two, two of the most more decorated guys in the UFC middleweight division.
0: And you said something pretty interesting there because this is a smart rankings fight for Branch. He's currently sitting in position number seven while Jacare is sitting at five. And above him is Costello and Weidman, Rockhold, and Romero. And I think this is the right route for Branch to take because especially with Brad Tavares falling out of the fight against Israel Adesanya, I wouldn't pick uh, Branch against Leota uh, Machida. And then looking at the remaining 15, you got Uriah Hall, Paul Costa, Thiago Santos, Antonio Carlos Jr., Elias Deodoro, and Christoph uh, Jokto. And I don't think branch wants to be the i guess the gateway for any of those guys to break into the top 10. so looking at sosa right now i think it is the right move from him for a uh rankings position because i think he can get this win and then he can i doubt he ever finds himself in a position to get a title shot unless if it's like a freak injury or something like that but he could use this fight to break into the uh top five if he was to get a win
1: well it's not just a matter of getting a win. It's how much would a loss damage you? I mean, there's losing a fight to a top top five, top ten um, fighter, and then there's losing a fight a fight to a guy who's outside the top ten. You know, losing to Jahurei isn't isn't any shame, especially if it's a competitive loss. Losing to anybody outside the top ten, or definitely someone ranked beneath beneath you, does a, does a huge disservice to your reputation and to your ranking. As far as how the fans perceive you i mean depending on it is you put five or six wins together that's great but if they're over nobody's the fans aren't going to get on your side Dana white's going to undercut your success and it's hard to make your point that you should be considered a league. you have to be a name or you have to be competitive with the name that's why it's a no lose it's a no win situation for branch he beats jacaray he takes a step up even if he loses jacaray but to a competitive fight he still he still takes a step forward just a smaller step that fight with uh, luke Rockhold, He got finished and pretty much dominated after luke rocco got him to the ground but a lot of people were still hanging on to the fact of what he did to him for those few moments on the feet and he had him on his heels and possibly had him close to going out that did a lot to build back some of the some of the luster that he lost in losing to luke rocco people were like well he had him out he he was close to finishing him so that that still was something he could spin if you lose to one of these other guys you can't spin that competitive or not when you get to a certain ranking it becomes a crapshoot when you take certain fights. That's why all the fighters become matchmakers once they get into that top 10, top 5 top five area, area of ranking.
0: And you said something about fighters becoming matchmakers because now we have Chris Weidman trying to position himself for a title shot against Robert Whitaker who just uh, earned another split decision win over UL Romero. And to be honest with you, I hope... The UFC decides to go with Kelvin Gastelum instead. Yes, uh, Chris Wyman's last fight was the win over Gastelum, but he has not fought since. I think that was what that was twenty early 2017, like July or something like that. Since then, Gastelum yeah, has yeah, defeated yeah. Uh, Michael Bisbink, former champion, and he also defeated who he, who else did he beat? Um, he
1: beat uh, Jacare.
0: Jacare, you're right. So he defeated a former Force champion and a former title challenger uh, here as well. So I hope that they give um, – let's say they do give Gastelum Whitaker and somehow Kelvin wins that. Then I would be okay with Chris Wyman getting a title shot, you know, to kind of uh, kind of flush, flush that out that they've already fought once before. But I don't want to see Chris in the title picture right now. I want to see him take a fight, actually get a win and look good. So maybe putting him against maybe – maybe. Having him and Rockhold fight it out again, if Rocco doesn't really go back to um, 205, or having him fight David Branch, maybe some, along those lines, let's see him get back into the cage and actually look good before he's thrown back a- into the top of the uh, division.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's trying to politic his way. He's, he's kind of doing what Tyrone Woodley did. You get a big enough win, and then you kind of sit out and wait to see what happens. The difference with Chris Weidman is, Whitaker's hurt now. So Whitaker isn't going to be fighting probably anywhere near in the next year or so. There's no way that Chris Weidman is going to be able to sit out for a whole year holding on to his spot, especially when he has been active in like six to eight months. So there's he, even if he is in close position for a title fight, as we speak at this moment because he beat Gasolum, and Gasolum's on this two-fight winning streak, the fact of the matter is it's going to be another six to eight months, and that mean, that'll by that time, Weidman won't have, won't have fought for over a year, and there's no way you're getting a title shot when your win was a contentious back-and-forth fight. Over a year ago, against the current champion, who's been the most dominant fighter in the division, pretty much cleaning the cleaning out the division from the seventh ranked fighter all the way to the champion. So I don't think Wyman has much of an opportunity. I, I get why he's doing it. He doesn't have long. You're fading out. As his, he's not really going to be elite for much longer. I don't think because he doesn't have the durability and he doesn't seem to have the stamina. So I can see why he's trying to get right back in the title shot. I just don't know that he's going to be able to do it. Like like you suggested, I think he should fight David Branch. Um, he's got to fight at least one more fight, and Branch would probably be the best route for him to go, stylistically speaking.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely true there. So let's keep it moving on some other stories because there's two Bellator actually announced two big fights this week. The first being. Wanderlei Silva and Rampage Jackson fighting at light heavyweight. Both of these fights are supposed to happen in September, with the other being uh, Gegard Mousasi against um, Roy McDonald. And I am I'm surprised I'm going to these bouts right now. I, I get the Wanderlei Rampage one. It has cachet, it has name value, even though both of those guys are not who they once were. The McDonald-Musasi fight, I think this is a fight for the hardcore base. Neither one of these guys are really stars. I think that the placement of it makes the most sense. I don't know where the fight was going to occur, but if it's somewhere where these guys can, can do some drawing power, then that's that's a good move for the organization. But these are two fights that I could see drawing pretty well on television if Properly promoted and properly booked what were what was your thoughts Shawan, when you saw that these four men were announced in uh, Fights coming up this year
1: As you said the rampage and the Silva fight that that that's that's automatic I mean, even though they're not they're past their prime the fact of the matter is each guy still has fan bases each guy Even if they've lost recently hasn't really looked like they couldn't compete in it This isn't Ken Shamrock coming back to fight Tito Ortiz each guy has been competitive or one fights in the past you know, couple years, in their past few outings. So they're at least on the fringes of being still effective fighters. So I, I see why that fight's made. That's typical Bellator. The question I have about the McDonald's and Musasi fight is, a lot of fans say they're tired of the freak show fights. Tito versus Bonner, Tito versus Chael, Chael versus Rampage, Rampage versus King Mo. Nobody likes to see those fights. Kimbo versus Dada, 5,000. Nobody wants to see those. Those are garbage, those hurt product. Well, this is a very dangerous fight for those fans because everybody keeps saying they want to be a legitimate fight, a top end fight, truly really matched guys, high level, high skilled, high experience level guys. Well, now you got the fight. So if this fight doesn't sell, I mean, sell big, that's the only thing the promotions understand ratings and money. If this fight is not a big selling fight, they can just kiss it goodbye. We're going to go right back to the pre show fight. That's going to be the point No, so all the people who say they want these kind of fights in Bell they need to show up, and they need to show out on the tap of the card. They don't. They're going to look at the money they made with the Legends, and they're going to look at the money they made with the top-notch, high-level matchup, and they're going to that's going to determine where the promotion goes from this point on. So they better find a way to support this fight, and they better make sure this fight has a super high rating if they want to see more of this from Bellator. Because they're run by a business, and they're only going to respond to not what makes the fans happy, what makes the fans spend their money and click on their TVs.
0: Now, overall, we see that uh, MMA is in a bear market. You know, television ratings aren't doing as great as they once were. Pay-per-view ratings aren't doing as great as they once were. Gates are still kind of hanging in there. Gates are still succeeding. From a business standpoint, is this the best one to option that bellator has to offer at the top of a card putting if like let's say they don't announce any other big name fights and they put other guys throughout the rest of this docket is this the biggest one-two punch that the organization has to offer right now
1: yeah i i would say so they don't really have a whole lot of stars nor fighters who are literally considered dominant so this, this is the perfect balance of celebrity fan base and legitimate fight only thing if i was going to go on the legitimate fight side if i had a fight with Musasi, mcdonald and uh maybe the flyweight champion elimile mcfarland and and whoever was challenger maybe you know not maybe not the current challenger maybe um valerie letourneau christina williams somebody of that nature that would be to me a better one-two punch because it covers more bases it'd be one of the best female fighters in the flyweight division competing it would also be Two of the best fighters, one from welterweight, one from middleweight, competing for the middleweight championship. That has a little bit more punch to me, but as far as selling points, then yeah, this would be the best option they have because it has a legitimate fight, and it still has a sideshow fight that's going to draw in the casual fan.
0: It's interesting that you brought up McFarland because she's actually the headliner on their next card, uh, which is... End of this that's month, sweet. the 29th. and that kind of caught me off guard, man. Um, I was pretty surprised with that, but I'm glad to see that she's getting um the stroke, you know, because that that's that's a pretty big placement for her, and you know which, she has crossover appeal, especially for me from a, a grappling standpoint.
1: Well, we've talked about it before. She checks all the boxes. She has a high level of skill as far as fight. She's she's been in exciting, tough fights. She's attractive, which always always helps sell any legitimate sports athlete. If you're attractive and you can perform, that will always help you sell. And the fact that, like you said, she has the grappling, she crosses over. So she's bringing in multiple fan bases and she's competing at a world-class level in multiple sports. That That's always an interesting selling point. That's always an interest, interesting storyline that you can use to, to market her and, and to generate interest from other sports organizations or platforms on TV. So I, I think it's a very good idea to invest in her she hasn't let them down yet as far as level of performance, how she's presented herself and how she's, um, you know, she hasn't really involved herself in anything too dramatic or too controversial. So this she's pretty much a, a godsend for them. You know, that's the kind of champion that any promotion wants. And they're not they're going to say that's not the case. But if you pay attention to the people, they really get behind people such as Elimilead McFarlane are the kind of fighters that they want to invest in and the kind of fighters who get the push that a lot of other fighters want.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely interested in seeing what um what she does over the next uh, few years. Hopefully, I mean, she gets you, don't,
1: this- you know anybody with Bellator, do you? Say that again. You don't know anybody connected with Bellator, do you?
0: I do have some connections there, actually.
1: Because because if you do, I I actually talked to her about getting coming on the show, but a couple other things have to happen on that end for her to be able to come on. But she said she she'd be okay with doing it, but there's some other stuff on that side of the of the, the road that has to be taken care of. So if you know anybody, feel free to put in a call for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely might just try to do that. Ed Ruth is another guy that's on that car too, who I would love to talk to. But um, that's needed here and over there. That's a conversation for a later date. Let's move on to another fight that was announced between Alexa Grasso and Angela Hill. Angela Hill was on um, Luke Thomas's uh, serious show. And, and it means pause for a minute there and say congratulations to Luke who is taking over the MMA beat and the MMA hour, um, where he's hosting both of those shows now over on MMA fighting now. That area of has moved on to ESPN. So big ups to him. Congratulations. You know, hes I'm a big fan of his. Um, we trained together. So, yeah, that's all I'm really going to say about that. But congratulations to him. But anyway, uh, Hill was on his show today. And, you know, she's been begging, 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 pleading for a fight. And she was given one against um, – uh Alexa Grasso, and I thought that this was an interesting name to pick to face off with her because I'm wondering, is she headed for a situation where she is, is uh, how can I say it, she's booked out of out of the UFC again, meaning they start putting her against the type of women that should beat her in the hopes of putting her in a position to cut her like they've done with other fighters but at the same time they have they have just cut uh people just because but do you think um what do you think about this fight and let's just start there what do you think about this fight for both alexa grasso and angela Hill?
1: first off I'm, I'm an angela hill fan i think she's very athletic i li- like the improvement she's made during the time in invicta instead of just going in getting a quick win And trying to get back in the UFC, she spent her time down there. She fleshed out her game a little bit. She cleaned up some things defensively. And she improved, so when she came back to the UFC, she was a better fighter. She's athletic. She's exciting. She's a striker first, but she's got got competent grappling skills. So I'm a fan of what she does and who she is as a fighter, especially her character. She's got a great personality, easy to talk to, approachable, funny, quick-witted. But the thing about Angela Hill, she complains about not getting certain fights, and she complains about not getting certain opportunities. But the fact of the matter is she has gotten big fights and she has gotten opportunities. She just hasn't been able – she's been able to compete. She has not been able to win. It's kind of like when Felice Herrick said, well, it's not fair. Paige Van Zandt is getting all the success because she's the pretty girl. You lost to Paige Van Zandt. She beat you within an inch of your life. If you would have beat her, you'd be where Paige Van Zandt was, fighting Rose Namunas and be, being a fighter or two away from the title instead of being where you were, having to build yourself back up. Through the division because you lost to somebody who everybody recognized was a great talent, but was criminally underskilled. So Angela Hill was in a fight of the night with Jessica Andrade. She was competitive, but she lost. She was in a fight of the night type fight with Ansaroff. Competitive once again, lost. She fought Rose Namunas in her first turnaround, was quickly submitted. So she's had big name fights. She just hasn't been able to cl- close the deal. So I... I at times when people, when she says she's overlooked, or she's not given opportunities. I can't take it really seriously because the only real win she had was over Emily Kagan, who wasn't a UFC level type fighter and Ashley Yoder, who was barely a UFC type fighter. And then she beat Marina Moroz, but everybody who saw that fight had a lowered opinion of both Moroz and Hill after that fight. Cause it was, it was so uneventful. This is a great fight for, for, for Hill because it's an interesting style matchup. Grasso likes to strike. She likes to strike. She should have a, She's probably got better tools, more tools than Grosso. Grosso's probably got a little bit better boxing and is probably the better overall grappler. And it's a big name. So, that if she beats Grosso, it's going to get her some burn. It's going to get her some opportunities. But once again, if she loses the Grosso, as you mentioned, this could be one step closer to being cut because Grosso is a good style matchup. So, if you're losing matchups where you're getting the fight where you want to get it and against somebody who's not a top in wrestler or grappler, you should be able to pull these kind of fights out. The thing is, Angela Hill has never been able to win these kinds of fights, except against Morose. Moroze is on like a two-fight losing streak. So while it's the fight she wants, it's going to get her some run. It's going to get her some attention. It's a dangerous fight because Grasso is bigger. Grasso, in my opinion, is more durable. And I think Grasso might not be a better defensive wrestler, but she's a better offensive wrestler and offensive grappler. And being that I think Hill's best weight is actually atom weight instead of straw weight, and this is based purely on how people react to her shots and how she reacts to getting hit from people in this weight class. I think there's a very good chance that Grasso could kind of walk her down, rough her up, work some takedowns in there and beat her by decision. The only question is going to be, is Grasso going to be mentally locked in in in, and engaged in the fight, or she's going to be kind of in and out the fight and let Hill take over and outwork her and out hustle her in a similar fashion to what Felice Harry did because Hill's capable of doing that. But as I said before, it's a dangerous fight for Hill. It's a fight she wants, but it's a dangerous fight because it's the kind of fight she's routine, She's lost more than she's won in the UFC.
0: Yeah, and that's what I um, am very intrigued about because I want to see... This is an important fight for her because it's a fight that if she loses, I wouldn't be surprised if the organization got rid of her after just one loss, even though she's been... She, beat she's only
1: beaten one ranked person. She's only beaten I mean, one ranked person. She's fought multiple yeah. ranked people. She's only beaten one.
0: Exactly. And, and it I mean, was a close it, decision. And we can point to other um, women who have struggled in the same way and continuously get opportunities. But um, Angela Hill does make the but most how, noise. How, how many,
1: how, how many, how many, yeah, exactly. How many of them talk as much as she talks like Felicia yeah. got away talking like she talked cause she was on a four or five, four, five fight winning streak. Angela Hill's on a two fight winning streak. And before that she was only on a one fight winning streak.
0: Angela Hill is not on a two fight win streak. She is one in one. She, one, uh, she defeated Marina Moroze and but she lost the Nina Ansaroff back in uh, November.
1: Oh, okay. So she's not even on a multiple fight winning streak, but she's routinely saying, I want better names. I deserve a higher ranking. Based off of what? And I, I'm not trying that to insult her, but you get, you get raked based off of the results you do. If you did terrible work, you wouldn't get jobs. So people could say you're terrible. If I did terrible articles, people would say that, and then they could go with that. She's getting less than stellar results, but demanding top-notch, elite, first-caliber, Opportunities, and yet she has not been able to pull the trigger on any of them. So it, it's very hard for me to listen to take her seriously past a certain point when she's not getting it done, but she's getting the opportunities. You can't get the opportunities and lose and then complain.
0: True, true that, true that. Yeah, and I'm I'm really interested in seeing how she does um, in this bout as well. I was pretty intrigued. Let's let's touch on um, the Dana White uh, contender series last night. I did not watch. But I did see that um, that all four men who, or all four competitors who fought, did get contracts. What did you think of the of the of the fights last night? And fill me in because I, I was unable to catch it.
1: I, I didn't watch them super closely. It the contender series is very confusing to me because. I, at first, I thought whoever won got offered a contract. But then I see guys who I would offer who I, who I would think get contracts, not get contracts. Some days he signs one. Sometimes he didn't sign any. Sometimes he signs everybody. And it's very it's frustrating watching it. Not that I wish ill on anybody, but sometimes I don't see the difference as to why he signed this guy, these four guys got contracts, and other guys who put on, to, in my opinion, credible fights, did not get contracts. It's the one thing that kind of takes me out of the, the flow of the show because I, I just don't know... I don't, I don't understand the uh, the standards or the requirements to get an, a UFC contract based on the show. I thought it was just a win, to win impressively, to show skills and show experience and savvy. But I've seen guys who've done those things not get opportunities. And I've seen guys who had wins that I thought weren't really all that impressive get get signed. And it, and it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. Um, it's like the guy who landed that kind of like that, that hooking sidekick. Last week um, on the, on a the card that Greg Hardy was on. and oh, the one he, he didn't retired. Get signed. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Immediately retired after the fact because I guess that was kind of like his last shot. So it's like you wonder what are the criteria for getting a UFC contract through the contender series? Is it all based off of Dana White's assumptions? Is it all based off of his whims? Like, I would love to hear more of that insight uh, and of that conversation as to who gets contracts and who does not.
1: Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but it seems like if you have a cer- certain Q rating, you're kind of on a fast track. Greg Hardy, we knew if he won, he was going to be in. Um, who's the guy from uh, who from World Series of Fighting? who's going to be fighting on there? Newell. We, if Newell wins, he's probably going to be in. You know, it, it's just, it's weird. It seems like guys, it's Sean, Sean uh, McCullough, what's his name? Uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. He had sort of a buzz. He had sort of a fan base outside of things. If he won, he was in. Like certain people who have that out, who have certain charisma or or appeal, you know they're going to be in. Everybody else is just a crapshoot. You could have an exciting fight. You could be competitive. You could be dominant. It doesn't matter. I guess if they don't see some outside earning potential in you, there's a very good chance that you're not going to get any further ahead. Because I thought that guy who won last week should have been in. And he clearly was not, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that kind of stood out to me. Um, But Greg Hardy did get signed. We didn't get a chance to talk about this last week because I was out of town. Um, But what are your thoughts about that? Uh, Is is that a signing that should have been made?
1: He doesn't have enough legitimate fights to really say that he's UFC caliber, but there's two things. One, the UFC, the heavyweight division all around the mixed martial arts is super thin and it's super shaky. You got guys in their early 40s, still in the top five, top 10 rankings, which shows you how little turnover there is. So they need fresh blood. Second of all, and I've said this before, and I I, I think you agree with me on this, that's an example of real-life world-class athleticism. There's people who think that Kane Velasquez is a world-class athlete and Fabricio Verdum is a world-class athlete. If you saw what Greg Hardy did, even if you didn't think he did a showed a high level of skill, you can't. You can't front on the power. You can't front on the body control. You can't front on the af- athleticism and explosiveness of the shots he threw and the shots he landed. I mean, that's that. I mean, that and there's tons of guys like that walking around in the NFL right now who have that kind of ability who aren't fighting because there's not enough money in it. So that's just an example of what we could have if there was more money in mixed martial arts. Um, the last point: I'm not really a biggest fan of not giving people second chances. I just haven't seen or heard about his apology or his ownership of what went wrong in attempts to get his life back in order. I understand why the UFC is doing it. It's been all over ESPN. Every time he fights, it's going to be all over ESPN, Fox News, every sort of platform. And even though they're going to get negative media from people who believe he's a woman beater and he shouldn't get another chance, that's still, that might be bad publicity, but in show business, no publicity is bad publicity, which means the UFC is going to get more attention on any card he fights on, especially if it's a pay-per-view. So I understand why they do it. I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm going to assume they had a talk with him, and he really convinced them that he's a better person and a new person. That's what I'm going to hope. But given how the UFC has acted before, I can't, I can't, I can't really be, be too strong in that thought process.
0: Well, you said a couple things there because, first and foremost, Greg Hardy has had a second chance. His second chance was getting signed by the Cowboys. His third chance was getting signed by the CFL team that picked him up. So he's had second and third chances. This is his fourth, maybe even his fifth. So, you know, you have to wonder how enough is enough. Yes, he is saying all the right things. His teammates are speaking highly of him, and and we can't, yes, you know, the legal system played out. He was not charged, or he was not, Um, he did not serve jail time for the issue. He was charged. He was, I uh, think, I don't know if he was sentenced, but he definitely was charged. The charges ended up getting dismissed because the victim did not show up, but, you have to wonder at what point is enough is enough, and if enough negative coverage of this is enough to get the UFC to change their mind. I don't think it is, but there's going to be a conversation point that people will be having for um, some time.
1: Yeah, there's one more thing I wanted to address. like. I just heard. I remember. I just thought of this. The UFC has a couple female fighters who've been the victims of domestic abuse, domestic violence. So it's kind of like you have employees who have been in that situation and could suffer some sort of mental or emotional trauma from having to be around someone or constantly see someone who's on a card with them, who's had that history. It's weird to me. And I I know you, I know in mixed martial arts, isn't the most combat sports are the most sensitive things in the world, but in a situation where you have two sexes intermingling and coming across and competing in the same arena, you would think they'd show a little bit more, I don't know, concern or delicate handling in a, in a, better nature when you have people who've experienced that and and have it actually, you know, on the law books that they've been attacked and had to file charges and go to court and have been assaulted or harmed by a male mixed martial artist who was a domestic abuser. You know, it's weird how they just totally ignore these sort of issues within their own organization with their employees.
0: And what I see interesting about that is, like, I think I tweeted this out, is I would love to see someone do an interview with the women on the UFC roster anonymously and get their real feelings about this because it'll be difficult for them to speak um, openly about this, but I would love for them to be able to speak about this and let people know how they really feel. If it's like an, an anonymous piece or something like that, I would definitely love to hear their um side of this issue
1: yeah you know and i know this would it be it'd be very interesting i'd like to and because i know a lot of when things like this happen whether it's the rape or the abuse a lot of people speak openly on camera i hate to say this but men do and they were like i'm against this i'm against this you know at one point dana white said you do domestic abuse you're never going to be a part of the ufc i like to get see what a lot of the men think off the record uh-huh. you know like not i would not as a media member, but just somebody could talk to him, Because I think you'd find that a lot of guys might not have as big an issue with this as you would think they would. And that would be interesting to me to see how they take this. I, the, obviously, the women's position is more important because they would be the victims of this. But it'd be interesting to think about guys who find out their past. Maybe they've done like this they've done. You're breaking said, up again, bro. I said, maybe you have guys who've had this in their history and they just weren't caught. And that's why they're so hesitant to be past judgment on it. You know, you kind of wonder, what do they really think about it? Because if enough fighters spoke out, especially some of the big name male fighters, maybe the signing wouldn't happen. I'm not saying it would. They could stop it, but maybe it would have. Maybe it would stop. And you wonder why more of them haven't spoken out. They spoke out on PEDs. They spoke out on drugs. Why not speak out on this? A lot of them have wives and daughters. A lot of them are supposed to be the best, human beings, wonderful human beings. How come nobody said anything? Definitely. Definitely with you on that so a hell of a topic to talk about, man. I'm sure we'll
0: be talking about it again at, at a later date. Um, I want us to move on because we have two cards to, to look back to. Um, we're closer to Kayla Harrison's fight. Vinny Makalash just got a, a good win. Um, you know, this PFL card is moving along here, so we might get an opportunity to talk about that. But let's talk about um, UFC Fight Night 132. In, this is going on in Singapore. I have to work it, so I have to be at work for fight match at 3.30 a.m., so this shit better be worth it, but nice. um, it's it's Leon Edwards and Donald Cerrone at the top of the card. So my first question to you is, what are your thoughts about Edwards here? He's talking a big game. He's saying a lot. Um, he's just saying so much, and you have to wonder, is he the real deal? deal here?
1: I think he's a legitimate fighter. The question is, does he have the ability to be an elite fighter? I mean, of course he's talking now. Like, It's hard to find somebody in mixed martial arts who will just shut up and fight because everybody's trying to find a way to angle themselves, draw attention to themselves, get the fights they want, get the fans on their side. So him talking is, is pretty much par for the course nowadays. The question is, can he execute? Um, Leon Edwards, to me, is a, is a very good fighter. He's he's turned to be a better grappler and wrestler at the highest level, then he is a striker at the lower levels. He, he's shown a lot of craft, a lot of athleticism in his striking. And you thought that it was going to transfer it over into the UFC, but since he's come into the UFC, he's been less of a, a striking virtuoso and more of a guy who's got competent striking skills, but has flashed a lot of control and dominance in the area of submissions, overall grappling and wrestling. Um, I think he's got potential. He, he's a stand. He's a very dynamic athlete. I don't think he has dynamic power. And I don't really know that he has shown like the uh, layer of skills to make an adjustment in a fight when it's not going the way he wants it to. He's had to make adjustments as far as a guy's doing this. He needs a counter with this. But he hasn't had to fight a guy who's got the seasoning and the experience to when he goes to plan B, they shut plan B down or they force them to, to go the opposite direction than he wants to. He's always been able to make the adjustment to what he wants to do, and facing Cerrone, he's facing a guy who's going to be able to keep him from doing the things that he wants to do. And then we're gonna—that's going to be the test of an elite fighter. What do you do when you can't do what you want to do in a fight? That's what the very best fighters find a way to win. I don't know that Leon Edwards can do that at this stage. I don't know that he hits hard enough. And quite frankly, I don't know that um, mentally he's—he's he's been tested enough to really react in the appropriate manner when he's put in those positions. He's got all the physical talent. All the physical talent is there, but. I haven't seen him in, in where he's been forced to work out of this situation.
0: So here's a question that I have next because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, is Donald Cerrone, is he, for lack of a better term, over the hill? Is he at a point now where he, yes, he did have the skill set to do all of that. He did have the ability to be a dynamic fighter who forces you to make adjustments, but does he still have that skill set at a point in his career where he's taken a lot of damage and he's a little bit older and he's been slipping down the rankings ever so slowly. Do you think this he's that same guy?
1: Well, with Donald Cerrone, a lot of people have a different memory of him than I do. I never thought of Donald Cerrone is a really durable guy. I've never really, prior to the past three or four years, I was never really impressed with him as a striker. I saw too many guys get to him on the feet and, and put heavy leather on him. And um, it, just a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys from WEC I saw do it. And in, even in the UFC, I saw him win more precisely and more impressively with takedowns and groundwork than I ever saw him do on the feet. That's just my take on him. So I've never thought that Donald's running some sort of Justin Gaethje type action fighter. He's never shown that to me. But the thing about the things excuse me that works in his favor because now he doesn't he's not used to depending on his durability or his power he's developed a broader and deeper skill set his striking actually is the best as it's ever been in my opinion his foot works better he doesn't push his punches anymore they have snap on them. he can make the adjustment as far as starting a little bit faster instead of being a slow starter and unlike he did in previous incarnations of donald Taroni. When he gets put in the bad spot, he's now showing the skills and the patience to work himself out of bad spots. An example would have been the Robbie Lawler fight. A couple of years ago, that would have been it. First round, he would have been finished. He, he got his composure, he started attacking the clinch, he started using the full range of skills and his tools, and he worked his way back into the fight, winning the second round, and losing a very close to third round. Actually, I think skill-wise, mentality-wise, this is the best Donald Smith yeah. You're breaking up, dude. You're breaking up. <clears throat> Sorry about that. He doesn't have some of the youth and energy he had before, but as far as his defensive skills on the feet, his willingness to engage in wrestling, offensively, defensively, and on the counter, as far as his grappling, it's all the, the best it's ever been. I think, from a skills perspective, from a strategy perspective, he's still more than capable of putting Leon Edwards in the areas. Leon Edwards, athleticism, and his size won't be back. But the question is, in the rough spots, he gets into, it? will Donald's can hold up? But I don't think it's a designer enough a or a busy enough striker. to put it. running in the spot that he is. You're, like, we totally lost you there, man. So,
0: um, let's kind of move on. From there, because I wasn't quite really sure with you what you were saying, because we we kind of got cut out there. So, um, let's talk about what happens with for both with both guys, depending on who wins. So Edwards is looking to kind of jockey himself in a position to get a top five, top five contest here, while Cerrone is trying to hang on to his spot for lack of a better term here. What do you think happens to both men if they were to pick up a win this coming Saturday?
1: Is Cerrone still going to be fighting at welterweight, or is he moving back down to lightweight?
0: I feel like I remember him saying he wanted to move back down to lightweight, but he is still sitting where he is.
1: I mean, a a win is good for Cerrone. It gives him another fight, and it kind of legitimizes his place. A lot of people think he's had his place because of his name, more so than his fight skills. So a win over Leon Edwards, it's not a big win. It's kind of just another stay-busy win that shows that he's still – He's still effective at this stage of his career. It doesn't really say that he's a world contender anymore. It doesn't say that he's a title challenger right now. It just says that he still should be in the conversation of legitimate and effective fighters. For Leon Edwards, it'd be a bigger win because it would be a name win. And it'd be a name win over a guy who has a high-level experience, who has a high level of skill, and has beaten a who's who in the welterweight and lightweight division. It wouldn't have as much meaning as it did maybe a year or two ago because of some of the rough stretches that Cerrone's gone over. But it would be a name win, and the UFC seems to respond to name wins even if the fighter isn't isn't at the peak of their abilities anymore. How many guys have gotten title shots or top 10 rankings off of Vitor Belfort in the past five or six years? And he hasn't won more than one or two fights in that time frame. So the UFC responds to those sort of things, and they reward that sort of thing. So if he beats Cerrone, he will get the top five guy he wants. They might even put him in Darren Till, which is the guy he really wants to fight. But um, for Cerrone... It's just another fight that says that he's still competitive and he's still a player in whatever division he competes in.
0: Very true, very true. Um, I'm interested in seeing how this fight kind of plays out because welterweight is coming to a point where there are a lot of contenders bubbling up. You have Darren Till, you have Kamaru Usman, you have Santiago Pazanibio. You have who am I forgetting? You have Kobe Covington. You have guys who are kind of bubbling their way up to the top, and you have Tyron Willie sitting there, who is a newish champion looking for guys to face. So I like how this queue of um, queue of fighters are kind of coming into coming in to fill that gap. And I think that Edwards could be someone if he picks up a win on Saturday.
1: Yep, definitely. I so, wouldn't favor him in a lot of those matchups, though. I'm not gonna lie, uh, I, I would not favor him in a, in a large majority of those matchups.
0: Favor who? Uh,
1: Leon Edwards against any of the guys you named, I would not favor him. Oh for, yeah, for yeah, yeah.
0: Part. That doesn't surprise me. Um, that doesn't surprise me there. So uh, let's move on and let's talk about um, Tyson Pedro and OSP. I think I think Tyson is his first name. Whatever guys, uh, Pedro is his last name. And OSP, um, this is, I think this is the main event of the evening. So what are some of your thoughts on this 205 fight?
1: OSP is probably one of the more physically gifted guys in, in mixed martial arts history, especially in the light heavyweight division. And I just feel really bad that he never got with a better camp. I've said repeatedly that with his physical tools, because he's got limited ground skills, he's got limited wrestling, he's got limited striking, but even with all that, just based off of physical durability and athleticism in his frame, he's been able to be consistently one of the top seven light heavyweights in the world at one point, maybe a top five, top four light heavyweight. And you just wonder what would have happened if he would have had a camp with better sparring, um, a more defined and clear direction on the feet and on the ground instead of having him have to relay, rely on his toughness and his athleticism so much to carry him through fights actually had a good corner and a good camp that could set up well-structured strategies and well-structured systems of striking and grappling to maximize his physical tools instead of using them as a crutch to get by. Um, I'm always going to wonder what OSP could have been because he, athletically, he's as good, if not better, than John Jones. He's comparable to to, Dan, to Daniel Cormier to a degree. And um, he just never maximized his abilities because he was never with the camp that could put him in a position where he's forced to develop and maximize his abilities. Um, unfortunately, that's what I think is going to be the problem for him against Pedro, because OSP, while a good striker, while good striker and powerful striker, a lot of his work, his best work, is done with his kicks. He doesn't show the greatest punch defense, nor does he show the best punch offense. He stands a little bit too tall in the pocket, and he admires his work a little bit. So he's going to be there for that return fire. And when he gets pressured, his footwork kind of falls apart. And when you, you take his kick, kicks away, if you can counter them or take him down, um, essentially he just becomes a heavy bag on the feet. He can always pull out submissions on the ground. He's, he, he's shown that tendency, but he doesn't really have any sort of structure or flow to his groundwork that you can depend on when he gets put in bad spots. If he physically can't take it, then he just won't, he won't find a way to win the fight It's because he doesn't have the skill sets to navigate rough waters when he's put into them. And he's been beaten too many times due to a lack of IQ. Um, I don't know that Pedro is the highest IQ fighter, but I know he's very physical. I know he's still in the prime of his career. He hits really hard, and he's willing to engage in firefights and willing to engage in fast pace fights. Um, Usually that's a bad recipe for the guys fighting OSP, but against a guy who, in my opinion right now, is a better athlete and a more durable fighter, I'm pretty sure that he stops him within probably a round or two. Worst case scenario, he just beats him up to a decision.
0: So, man, this is this is pretty interesting there because I th- I really want to kind of break this down further, but I'm just not too interested in this fight. I looked at this card a couple times when I was working on the agenda for tonight, and a lot of stuff kind of didn't really jump out. Only thing I really wanted to talk about was Li Jing Liang, um, he's a guy who came off of tough china and they really wanted to kind of promote this guy to the sky but he didn't quite translate into that at first he's been doing better as of late is Jing Ling the face that the ufc needs for uh mma in the east
1: i i would think so as far as just i think he has some he comes from there so he has the the look and he has he has kind of connection with the people but the question is in, in the in the male division, it's very hard to move somebody if they don't have the prerequisite skills. Even with the athletic ability, it's very hard. In the women's division, you could have a Paige Van Zandt. You could have a Kaylee Corrine and have some success. In the men's division, it's so deep and there's so many competitors that you can't just get by on athleticism and you can't get by with subpar developing skills. And I don't know how many guys they can put him in with, legitimate guys again give him the opportunity to develop to turn into the to turn into a legitimate face f- for the ufc i mean they can do all the marketing and back him up but you can't control the fights it's not like wrestling you can't control the fights and you have no idea what level he's current he's at because he doesn't have the best sparring nor the best competition coming up as a fighter so yeah it is a, a face and just a person sure but as far as legitimate fighter who's a face it's hard to tell because I, I I still I still don't know what level he's at, and I still don't know how good he can be because he was so far behind the curve when he came into the UFC level of fighting.
0: True, I'm not gonna argue with you that there. Um, there, there was
1: one fight I, I wanted to discuss really quick. Um, the it's a women's flyweight fight between Jessica I and Jessica Rose Clark. Is that Saturday? Is that- uh, yeah, that's on the Singapore card.
0: Oh, okay, I totally missed that one.
1: Yeah, the only reason I would discuss this is because even though Rose Clark didn't make weight her first fight, she's, in theory, got two fights. She has two wins in the division, and both of them were fairly high profile. Anytime you beat Paige Van Zandt, that's a big story. That And second fight, she was a co-main event when she fought Beck Rawling, and she beat her, and that was a big story as well because they were fighting in Beck's neck of the woods. Beck was... It's sort of a name and a character in mixed martial arts. So it's two big wins over two big personalities in the UFC. In theory, she should be not too far from a title fight herself because if she beats Jessica I, that's three fights. That's three fights in a row. She's won in the division, which has got to put her ahead of anybody except for maybe Shevchenko, who hasn't even really beaten a legitimate competitor, and maybe Mataferi and Honchak, who after what in the next two weeks. One of them is getting to take a, a step back in the rankings either. So it's a very important fight because you're you're starting to see the division solidify, and Jessica Rose Clark is right in position, pole position to be a potential title challenger. This is a dangerous fight for her because she is fighting Jessica I, who is coming off a win. But in the past couple of years, Jessica I's had one fight after like what out of six fights, that one win. So if she loses this fight to I, even though I is on one and zero in the division. Fans still recognize that Jessica Guy hasn't been elite for a while, at least not abandoned weight. In the image it p- presents, her losing to eye, even if it's in a competitive fight, it's, in my opinion, is going to set her back two or three spots in the division, at the very least, and leapfrog Jessica guy four to five positions in the division, at least. So it's a very risky fight, and it's another example of where you have a fighter who's on a win streak, who's got some name recognition, is getting some attention, and is putting a, a – an opportunity to be elite, an opportunity to be a title challenger on the line to face a person who's nowhere near a title fight and who doesn't have the, uh, at the moment, doesn't have the reputation that says that they're an elite fighter. We saw it happen with DeSantos when he fought. We saw it with DeSantos and Ben Rothwell. Rothwell was on the rise, losing DeSantos, and you never hear from him again. So it's a very interesting fight that she took the fight, and it's a very risky fight because she's risking a top 10 ranking to fight somebody who's lower ranked than her and who doesn't have a lot of momentum behind her at this moment.
0: So let me ask you this then. Do you think a win for her places her above Sajar's Eubanks?
1: Um, A win for her does not because Eubanks beat Murphy. And Murphy, if I recall correctly, was in the top five having beat Honchak. So that win over Murphy is actually one of the best wins Outside of Nico Montano beating Roxanne Modafferi, I, I don't think another flyweight has beat a, a highly ranked fighter as Lauren Murphy was at the time when Sajjad beat her. So Sajar so beating Murphy essentially, to her, to me, puts her above everybody except for um, except for Montano. I mean, to, to be quite honest, in my opinion, that puts her ahead of everybody else. Um, Jessica Rose Clark winning this fight it doesn't really do much for her because Jessica I is two spots below her. If she struggles in a fight, it's gonna make her look bad. And it might let her keep her position, but it's not gonna move her up. And if she loses this fight, she's gonna go down two or three spots. And Jessica I is gonna move up two or three spots. Huh. It's a better win, it's a better win for Jessica I than it is a win for Jessica Rose Clark. And that's not a disrespect to Jessica I. She's a very capable fighter, very athletic fighter, but she's had some inconsistencies that have affected people's opinion of her. She's still capable of winning this fight if she's mentally locked in. She'll she She's a better athlete. She's a more experienced fighter. She's fought the better resume of opponents. She should beat Jessica Rose Clark, but Rose Clark beating her does nothing for her, in my opinion. It's just another win that keeps her in position. She loses though, or she or it's a, it's a close win, it will impact her ranking. And I, right now, if, as far as my opinion, I think Nico Matano should fight Shajara Eubanks before she fights anybody else because Valentina Shechenko an unranked flyweight who wasn't ufc level i don't think you should get a title shot based off of that that's
0: That's funny that's actually going to be my next um my next question there because i was curious as your thoughts as to who should get the next title shot
1: yeah it's eubanks eubanks is being the best as far as the rankings because the rankings in the house kind of related to the rankings in division all the people who who stayed in the ufc from the house got certain rankings Murphy beat a high-ranked fighter in Honchak. Sajara, Sajara had beaten everybody in the house, so she's already beat higher-ranked fighters, and she beat Murphy after the fact when Murphy had her top-five ranking. I don't know anybody else who's had a higher-ranked win in the flyweight division. The only person close to it would be Honchak and Montefiore have a chance for that. But even Jessica Clark, she hasn't beaten top-ranked flyweights. Shevchenko fought a nobody in the flyweights. Justine Kish lost, but she wasn't fighting a top-ranked person either. So the person who's leading in the clubhouse to me is Sajara Eubanks. Plus she was previously the supposed title challenger. So to me she's got a bunch of arguments to demand the title fight before Shevchenko.
0: Yeah, I was actually gonna say that because it's like Shevchenko, I don't think she should be she shouldn't even be in the conversation right yet. I understand she had a run at Bantamweight where she fought for the title there, but she's in a new weight class now and you know, I you know my stance I believe that the UFC is Doing the best they can to get their blonde, attractive champion um, with the belt around her waist, and Shevchenko may be the best bet in doing that right now.
1: Well, I would have understood if she won the title and then dropped it and moved down. That would make sense to me. But she, out of her last three fights, she lost two of them, and she lost into the champion. She lost into the at the time the future champion. Now she lost to the current champion. I don't understand how that instantly gets you a title shot. At a weight class below, like when Frankie Edgar dropped a weight class, I understood because he was a former champion. Valentina Shevchenko is a former title challenger. That puts her no no further ahead than Roxanne Mataferi, <laughs> another person who challenged for a title shot who lost. So while I like Shevchenko, she's a very good fighter. I don't understand her argument where she feels she can demand a title fight off of what she did. She fought a person who showed no resistance, no sort of skill set, no sort of IQ or situational awareness. Why am I supposed to be impressed by that win? The win over Eubanks is a better win than that. Uh, Rose Clark's win over Beck Rawling is better than the win Valentina Shevchenko had. I just don't understand her argument. I don't understand her or her management. And I don't understand anybody who's a fan of mixed martial arts if you're getting a title fight. If you like her, that's fine. But tell me what she's done in flyweight just by having the title. Fight. Whether you think it's fair or not, in flyweight she's, she's got to get at least one legitimate win before I can even take her seriously. I don't.
0: Right now. Yeah, Sean Yes. Yeah. So, um, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that because I think, I as I said, um, as I said, she's putting putting up she's being put in this pos- position based on the male gaze, as you know, that, that bloody elbow article talked about. The male gaze has really kind of um, helped elevate her to this position. Um but I don't think she should get the shot over Sujar just definitely because, you know, Sujar's had she had that weight cut issue. She's proved that she can make the weight. She had a big win and that's where we are
1: yeah essentially and if they don't give it to her they, they're making kind of a mockery of their own competition in the tough house if they go straight to Shevchenko if you think about it
0: yeah I definitely um, agree with you on that and one
1: thing. more thing before we switch because I know we need to go we're not saying Shevchenko is not a top fighter and a elite fighter we're saying she has to prove it and do something impressive before she gets talked about as a title challenger she can fight but she isn't shown that she can fight against resistance at the flyweight division That's all we're saying. We're not saying she can't fight or we're disrespecting her. We just need to see it at the flyweight division.
0: Very true. I agree with you on that. Um, Let's talk about PFL right now because the card is going on right this minute. And um, I'm looking forward to some of these fights on this card, especially the I want to see what Kayla Harrison does in her first um, professional fight. Let's see where we are in the card right now. I think Honey Marks is about to fight. Yeah, Honey Marks is about to fight Sean O'Connell. But let's talk about the three fights, four fights at the top of the card. We have um, Will Brooks looking to prove that his UFC run was more of a fluke than people are expecting, and he's fighting Luis Firmino, a guy who hardcore fans will recognize, but mainstream fans will not. and who's a really tough tough competitor here. Brooks is listed as the favorite, but I think that's a mistake. I think this fight should be closer than a lot of people are expecting. So, break this fight down for me real quick. What do you think about this main event?
1: Um, it's a good fight. Uh, Firmino's a tough guy. He he's got a good balanced skill set. He there's not really a spot you there's not a spot that Will Brooks can take really take advantage of him. Brooks isn't a good enough striker. He's more of an athlete, willing striker than he is a technical um, well-schooled striker and while Brooks has a wrestling advantage advantage somewhat based on his physical strength and athleticism, I think that grappling should essentially neutralize, should essentially be equal as far as both fighters go. The reason Brooks is being favored is because Brooks is the younger guy, he's the fresher guy, and currently he's, beat, he's faced and beaten the better opposition. Um, I never know what to think about will brooks because i was never the biggest fan of his coming in i knew some of the guys who trained with him and my concern was that he was a little bit too much athlete and not enough developed fighter i saw a guy who could control spots and can get into certain spots based off his style and his physical strength i didn't see a guy who had layered striking i didn't see a guy who had really layered or advanced groundwork the wrestling was good but it wasn't what i would consider world-class or really or really super technical. I thought that there were a lot of fighters who could stop his takedowns. I thought a lot of fighters could take him down. And I felt there were a the ton of fighters who could exploit him on the feet. So the struggles he had in the UFC weren't really all that impressive, weren't surprising to me. It was surprising how far it went. I figured when he got to the elite level, he started having trouble. I didn't think he'd have trouble at the mid-tier level. Or if he had trouble, I think he'd find a way to win. And he wasn't able to win at the mid-tier level. So to that, to your question, I don't understand why he's such a favorite, even though that the Firmino... Is has a lot of mileage on him, even though he hasn't been facing the best opposition. The fact is, you never know which Will Brooks you're going to get. You just never know. And even though he's got the ability to beat anybody in the world, he's also showed the inconsistency to lose to anybody in the world, and he's done so repeatedly. So I don't see how anybody could be that sure that he's going to win. O- outside of them, him being a former UFC fighter and a Bellator champion, based off what you see on tape, I don't see how anybody's that sure that he wins any fight.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't, I'm not sure anyone can can really see that. Uh, can I ask you a question?
1: Is a now, grappler? Do you do you find his grappling particularly stand out? Like I, I'm just speaking from my point of view. I don't find his wrestling or his grappling to be anything like special. It's good for control. It's good to win rounds and score points, or if he totally outclassed somebody. But I don't see anything where if he was fighting one of the better fighters in the division, he could he could get takedowns whenever he wants, or he could control a guy for as long as he wants. That's not what I see when he fights.
0: Brooks, no. And the thing that kills me the most is that he's a wrestler so but he doesn't use it um he doesn't use it effectively last time he actually used it effectively was when he threw Michael Chandler on his head outside of that it's like nothing this guy does really stands out to me and it's really kind of um disheartening because i was expecting much more out of him uh, when he made his jump to the UFC but it just did not put the, did not come together for him
1: yeah yeah it was it was i thought i mean i figured he'd struggle but like I said, I figured he'd hit the elite, and that's when he started losing. He was he was losing at the mid-tier level, man, and losing pr- pretty soundly.
0: So let's talk about my guy, man, Efrian Escudero. I used to be a big fan of this guy. He's facing Jason High, who also picked up a win, in, I think, at the last PFL event. Um, what are your thoughts about this co-main event here? Is Escudero ever going to get back to that point where they thought he was going to be in the UFC?
1: I think Escudero can still be a good fighter, maybe even one of the better fighters in 155 overall outside of the UFC. I don't think he ever gets that level. He's never shown the consistency. It's not that he wasn't durable enough. It wasn't that he didn't have a work ethic. It didn't wasn't that he was so limited in his skills. He just couldn't put it together consistently, he'd have a great round and a bad round. He started out a round really well ended terribly. He couldn't just put a solid three rounds together at any given time versus any level of opposition. No matter who he was facing, he always gave them spots to turn the fight around and take control of it. And that's just not the sign of an elite fighter at all. Part of being elite isn't just having elite talent, it's being elite in your consistency. And nobody can ever tell me that Efrain Escudero has been a consistent fighter, consistent striker, or consistent grappler on any stage, and any level. I, I just haven't seen it. Maybe at the lowest levels he was, but once things started evening out, I haven't seen that sort of consistency. He's, he's got the talent, but he has not shown the consistency in, in his performances to say that he could be a UFC level again, in my opinion.
0: Do you think Jason Hyde picks up the win here?
1: Uh, if I had to go, somebody—I mean, I want to say escadero but I, I think High has has more, more likelihood of winning the fight. I, I really do. um Like I said, escadero is going to give you opportunities to take the fight from him, whether it's just out hustling him, physically out fighting him, or just him showing bad fight IQ and and putting himself in a position where he loses the fight that he was winning. He's going to give Jason High the opportunities. I would say that escadero is a more talented fighter overall but he's just never been able to put that talent together consistency, consistently. You can always improve skills, but it's hard to improve that inconsistent mentality. There's so many fighters with talent who just can't ever put it together and ne- never get past a certain point, and I think Escudero is one of those. And even if he beats Jason High, that that doesn't change my opinion of him because I, I'd have to see him do it two, three, four times in a row, and, and he is ne- he's never been able to do it since he got signed by the UFC, not inside or outside the UFC. True, true, true. I think – um.
0: I think I'll unfortunately go down in infamy for being the guy who got cut for pushing a
1: referee uh yeah I mean and now considering some of the stuff that's happened after that you look back in hindsight that was that was they shouldn't have cut him um, yeah. I, I don't know how long he would have st- stuck around at, at this stage but he's he's a good fighter and he wouldn't be still fighting and fighting at this level if he wasn't. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Jason High and his his mental toughness and his will to improve and his will to keep fighting the best oppo- opposition he can face. I mean, it's not it hasn't been an easy road for that guy, and he has not taken a backward step yet.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, let's talk about um, Kayla Harrison. And she's fighting Brittany Elkin. Brittany Elkin, I'm familiar with For her, I think she fought on Bellator once or twice, but I'm more familiar with her from a grappling standpoint. Um, what are we looking at with Kayla here? Is she someone who can I hate to say be what Rousey was or can be as dominant, but what should we expect from her?
1: Uh well I I had saw some discussions about Kayla Harrison, and um I actually referred to former guest on the show, T P Grant. And uh, he was telling me the difference between Harrison and Rousey is Harrison took kind of a wrestler's approach to grappling. In the judo, she's not a she's not a big high amplitude, high amplitude, dynamic finishing transitional type fighter. In that regard, of her grappling, she's very physical. She's very much of a grinder who just works to get you to ground, physically overwhelms you, and transitions to submissions or positions of control. And he said that difference is going to impact how people view her. Part of what got Rousey so big was how dynamic she was, how quick she was finishing people, how quickly she made these dynamic adjustments in mid-air or mid-round or mid-motion and was able to finish fights and finish fights against experienced, fairly high-level fighters. From what I'm understanding, Kayla Harrison is not that type of fighter. She's more of a grind you, beat you up, and, and then finish you type fighter as far as her grappling goes. and. If that's true, if that ends up being true in her mixed martial arts, that's going to change how people perceive her because Ronda had to beat how many girls in less than a minute before she really started getting public attention? Uh-huh. And against a fighter of Brittany Elkins' experience level and her style, I don't know that Kayla Harrison is going to be able to get that sort of win right off the bat. I will say that I'm very impressed by her taking on a fighter of Elkins' level because Elkins has trained with some of the better fighters in the world. She helped uh, Shevchenko prepare for Nunez. She's she fights if I want to say she fights at a higher weight class. She was at 155 at one point. She's physical, she's experienced, she's well conditioned, she's tough. She's not the kind of fighter that you usually put a debuting fighter in even if they are a former world-class athlete. Uh, this is very similar to what Aaron Pico did in his first fight. So it it's shocking to me that PFL isn't making a bigger story of this. And really highlighting Kayla Harrison, because how many times do you get an Olympic judoka, much as a gold medalist, fighting, debuting on your card? And it's it's really not be, being made a big deal of at all. I mean, not at all. And, and coming on the heels of a Ronda Rousey, you would think this would be very big news. But you don't hear about it much of anywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. You don't really um, hear about that at all. And I'm surprised because, you know, she's a gold medalist and... She's someone that, I don't know, (sighs) I say this with not kind of following what she does off the mat too closely, but she just hasn't, she hasn't come off as a big, as big of a personality to me.
1: Yeah, I would say that. But I I mean, like she, she's just, she's a different kind of person because when people say Ronda Rousey. They, they used to care, compare Rose Namajunas to Ronda Rousey because she had a kind of an edginess and a sort of appeal. Uh, Harrison is not that kind of person. And being a world-class athlete, a world-class fighter is partly about fighting. Part of it is how you respond to people, or how people respond to you. From what I've seen of Harrison, she, she doesn't have that, uh, that edginess. She doesn't have that say-anything personality that's going to draw people in or, or set, the, uh, set people on fire with reactions to what she's saying or doing. She seems like just a person who's a professional who, who wants to fight and to test herself. And while that's very honorable, it's not the kind of thing that, that draws fans in. I mean, there's a certain segment of fans who pay attention to that, but those fans don't buy pay-per-views. Otherwise, those type of fighters would be bigger in this day and age, and they're not.
0: True, true, true there. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else I stood out on this card I wanted to talk about? Um, Rashid, you... you... Ooh, you super. However, you say his name. Um, he's undefeated. Tell me about this prospect, uh, Shuan. I know you know about him.
1: Um, really, the thing about it, I haven't seen him in. I've seen some of his stuff. I haven't seen him in a to a level of composition that I find capable of really testing him. So it's hard for me to gauge. He seems very. He seems very confident. He seems athletic. He seems like he has a lot of dynamic ability. But I don't know how good his skills are because he hasn't been facing the kind of guys who can match that athleticism and once again, put him in positions where it's got to go skill for skill strategy for strategy, move for move. And until I see that, I'm always a little hesitant to say, this guy's legitimate. This guy has got great grappling. This guy's got good wrestling. This guy's got great striking because I have to see where the gap isn't so tremendous. So you can actually see what happens when they have to go to plan B or make an adjustment on plan A. And I haven't seen enough of him having to do that for me to say, that he's a prospect that I need to keep an eye on outside of him just being a talented, confident prospect.
0: Now, do you think this being a big man's division will help him?
1: Yes, I mean, it, it will. I mean, as we've stated before, the divisions aren't the deepest, and that's going to that allows some opportunity for some growth because there's not a lot of top-end competition up and down the divisions. Like light Lightweight is t- tough from number one to number 51. The higher you get, the less. But less, the less true that is. Starting around middleweight, it starts going from number one to maybe number 15. You get higher than that, it's one to maybe seven. You get higher than that, it's one to maybe five. So it, it gets a lot harder, and that's going to give him a lot of leeway to grow and a lot of opportunities to showcase the talents he does have. But you won't really know what he has until you start facing him against legitimate guys who got the experience and some of the tools to push back when he pushes on them. hmm uh-huh. Yeah, I, think I mean be, you, you yeah. see you, you saw what you saw it in Ganu the first time he faced resistance whole another fighter up until then he was a destroyer and then what happened somebody pushed back Somebody didn't let him do what he wanted and all of a sudden he didn't look nearly as devastating or dynamic
0: yeah so we'll see um we'll see what kind of happens there because it's, it's an interesting uh guy to watch and i'm wondering if he's a product of his competition or if he's someone that's really going going to break through
1: yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean that—that's really what it comes down to. That's—it's a difference. Like you watch traditional sports, I watch traditional sports, and where people disrespect them, they say they are so much easier than combat sports. But the thing about it, basketball, baseball, hockey, they have a deeper pool of talent than any combat sport. So even though it's not it, that you don't have the trauma getting punched, kicked, choked, or thrown, you're facing a higher level of opposition of talent on every level from the time you're in fourth grade to the time you get to pros than any other sport because you have so many people competing in that sport and so many people with the physical talent to compete in that sport. That's not the case in mixed martial arts or boxing or even some of the Olympic sports. As big a pool as they have, football, basketball, all the other sports have an even wider one. So the level of talent is just so much more competitive. And in that regard, traditional sports are more difficult because you're facing more guys on your talent and skill level on a regular basis than you do in other sports. In, in football, there's tons of heavyweights who got skill and athleticism. Mixed martial arts. We barely have any light heavyweights or heavyweights. We have skill and and top lit le- top level athleticism. Something else about the
0: PFL I wanted to talk about is whether or not whether or not it's going to stick around. I was talking about this the other day at FightMetric with some of the guys I was there talking to, um, and I hope that this organization does stick around. I hope that they find a way to, to be successful to keep these seasons going. We know, you know, there used to be a series of fighting. They did a couple of events before launching this first season. This season is expected to run all the way through uh, December 31st this year when the championships occur. But I'm all about diversity. You know, I'm all about there being of the options. You know, I'm. if you guys don't know, I cover professional wrestling as well. And one of the big narratives right now is the fact that the industry, you know, everyone knows of the WWE, but the industry is growing outside of that where guys are making opportunities for themselves outside of that promotion. So, if PFL can become something for fighters who are no longer in in the UFC, then we'll have PFL, we'll have Bellator, we'll have rising we'll have 1FC, we'll have Combates America. So, we'll, we'll, we'll we're still in a direction where there's more for.
1: The big, the big question is going to be, can they keep the talent, though? like, It's good to have new talent cycling in. That, that That's always great. But the thing that separates the UFC from everybody else is they have depth in each division, and they have familiar names in each division. They have 1 to 10, maybe 13 guys who even casual fans are aware of as fighters. In all these other organizations, they have maybe one or two. And when, as soon as those guys get on win streaks, win a title, make a couple defenses— they're onto the UFC. So it's hard to gain momentum when you're constantly cycling through champions and challengers, and you see the one man in PFL, the next season you see him in the UFC. That's what takes away from the legitimacy and the credibility of these organizations. They can't, they don't have guys turning down the UFC at the peak of their powers, choosing Bellator, choosing the PFL. Will Will Brooks be even in the PFL if he was winning in the UFC? No, he wouldn't be. And same for a lot of fighters. We've got to see them keep these guys And have those defend titles two, three, four, or five times. We had to see guys pick PFL, Bellator over UFC. When the public starts seeing that, that's when you start gaining traction. But as long as you even though you're getting guys who are still close to their peak, but guys who are on losing streaks or guys who got kicked out of an organization, it takes away from the it takes away from any heat you would get from signing that big name because you still know that big name was on a losing streak at the big time. At the big time. They could hack it at the big time. Exceptions being someone like Benson Henderson and a few other people who were on winning streaks when they left. Lorenz Larkin, those signings had a little bit more weight because they were still competing at the highest level. Whereas guys like Ryan Bader have proved they couldn't compete at the highest level in the UFC, but now at this level, they seem to be thriving. That kind of impacts how the fans see it. So they've got to keep these guys, develop them, and keep them moving forward and not just lose them to the UFC or Bellator at at the first drop of a better offer.
0: Interesting, interesting there. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. I think that's it for today, man. Uh, okay. What are you working on this week, and what should we expect to see from you on ratings.net and everywhere else?
1: Uh, first, on ratings.net I'm actually doing a women's fight. It's going to be uh, over the Valerie Letourneau versus Christina Williams fight. I'm doing a, a MMA for dummies where it's going to talk about the do's and don'ts. The things that Valerie Turno needs to do and things she doesn't need to do to win that fight, in my opinion, become the next challenger for the Flyweight Bellator Championship. I'm also doing an article on Combat Press, which is basically a sister article to this one where I talk about the, it's called the Sinister Six, the six things Christina Williams needs to do to beat Valerie Turno to become the next title challenger to the Flyweight, the Bellator Flyweight Championship. And that should be coming out next week
0: true 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 um i'm working on a lot of stuff i actually there, you know there's a piece on alia quinta that'll probably come out later on this week um i love that guy that dude hates you
1: know? dana white he hates dana white so badly
0: like he's the hero that mma needs but doesn't really deserve right now
1: um, you know i respect that guy because he had a problem and instead of whining and keep on fighting he said i'll take this last fight i'm gonna go get a real job i'm not putting up with this everybody else keeps talking about leaving oh i have to leave i have to leave, I have to leave. I have to leave. but nobody ever leaves and that's why they keep getting in the situations they're in, because they won't leave. Whoever's scared to leave is the one who doesn't have power. UFC has power, because they're willing to lose you. The fighters have none, because they're not willing to lose their spot in the UFC until they're kicked out. And Quintus said, to hell with this. I'm going to go get a regular job, make more money anyways, and I'll come back if I feel like it. That's what he did, so you have to respect him.
0: Definitely. And, you know, he's, he's drawing a line and saying He's going to do what he wants, and there's nothing you can fucking tell him about it. I, and that's really kind of how how it is. Like, there's nothing you can tell that man, um, and he's not going to be about be about his his um, life. So, I, I definitely uh, appreciate definitely appreciate that dude.
1: Yeah, I respect him. I ton of respect for him. I'm not the biggest fan of his always, but gotta respect how he's followed through on this. Instead of doing a lot of the talking that everybody else is, everybody complains. Nobody's been willing to walk away except for him and Leslie Smith. So, I respect for them because they put their careers on the line for. On behalf of fighters who wouldn't, who essentially wouldn't spin on them if they were on fire, when it comes down to going against the UFC. So props to both of them. I have a huge amount of respect for their courage and their uh, consistency in handling this.
0: Very factual points. Very, very factual points. Um, let's see, and that's really it, man. I have nothing else to add. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and close it out. That's it. Tell everybody where they can find us.
1: You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes, the first three places you should always look. Once again, thank you for listening to us. We will be having some interviews coming up very soon. And if you have any questions or issues you want us to discuss on the show, contact me at Black Jordan Breen or Rafael, uh, excuse me, Rafael because acting like you're Brazilian, Rafael at RGarciasports on Twitter. There's,
0: there's very and few things I hate more than that.
1: Rafael Garcia. <laughs> oh, that's a rough man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can contact us on it. We love to talk about the sport and we love to address issues that you, you find quite interesting because you don't get paid a lot of money for covering mixed martial arts. We do it for the love of the sport and for the love of the fans who are interested in the sport. So if you have things you want to discuss, come to us and we will discuss them
0: definitely that and um also be sure to go to M- 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 M-M-A ratings.net and rate the fights it's one of the only places where you can tell us what you really think about each each and all all the fights so tell us um exactly what you want and tell us how great you thought the uh fights were because this is where you'll, you'll be able to do that
1: yep your opinion matters over here not a lot of sites can say that
0: exactly so let's go ahead and close out my man and we will will be back next week for another edition of the show we're creeping closer to 100 shows so thank you guys for everyone who listens to our content be sure to like and share us across your um, social media networks and again everyone have a great night and enjoy the fights going on tonight and next week or and on Saturday excuse me
1: yeah good night have a good evening